This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Bible study from Christchurch, Jerusalem, where we've been studying the last words of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses has the children of Israel uh, standing before him on the plains of Moab, and he is uh, giving them some encouragement, some warnings, uh, and he's also retelling the Torah. But he doesn't do it uh, sort of verbatim, as in a repeat of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. What he does, he does something very clever. He does a commentary to the to the, and so he doesn't say everything. He actually will change some things, and he will add some material uh, as as he's as he's sharing. What in essence these these Israelites should know, but seem to have somehow forgotten uh, along the way. And uh, part of the the joy of the study is to see how clever Moses is um, as he retells the the commandments of God with a focus of putting it on your heart. So in Deuteronomy, you'll always find um, uh, the heart being a very big issue. And uh, this book, Deuteronomy, becomes uh, probably the biggest book, along with Daniel and um, Isaiah, during the Second Temple period. And they end up being quoted the most in the New Testament. But there's over 300 uh, direct quotes and allusions uh, to Deuteronomy in the New Testament. So it was a very popular book. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll notice that the New Testament does not quote Esther. Okay, and, and other things like that. Um, and so there's, it seems that there were certain books that uh, were not as common as they are now. And the one that was most common was Sefer Devarim, this, this book. All right, so let's begin with a word of prayer. This is a tradition, custom, and good thing to do. And then we'll, we'll go into chapter six. So... Um, Neville, can we call upon you as a potential, potential new deacon of the church? <laughs> um, yeah, fine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time set aside to come before your word. And Father, we pray that even though we are separated by distance, we will be one in you, guided by your spirit and taught by him, and to be led into a deeper understanding of your love towards us and the way that we can respect and honour you through these words that have stood so long. So, Father, we pray you'd bless us by your presence and, and guide us in our learning, we pray. Amen. 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 Now, normally, we'd be sitting around a table, and um, <laughs> we would then take it verse by verse. Hey, how you doing, Ling Ling? You all right? Hi, how are you? Live and well. Good evening, well. everybody. <laughs> Hello. Wonderful. So glad to be here. Uh -huh. Online again. <laughs> yeah, finally. Wonderful. So normally we would Praise be sitting the Lord. Table and uh, and we just go around the, the table doing it verse by verse, but it's a little bit harder when we're um, on 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 virtual world. So we'll just read a few few verses at a time. I'll read them in little groups and blocks, and then we'll just discuss Up them. Six. Even though it still is usually better if you if you read everything in in context, but. That uh, is what it is tonight. So we're looking at um, Deuteronomy 6. Right? This is going to have the big uh, 
the Declaration, the Shema. I mean, uh, Deuteronomy is just packed with this kind of stuff. Deuteronomy 4 had the big declaration of monotheism. Finally, there's only one God. And then uh, Deuteronomy 5 had the, the, the retelling of the Ten Commandments in a very interesting way. Um, and now, um, oh, and that's why we have to do the recap. Forgot to do the recap. Where these notes will be posted online and you can read them. So this is the uh, uh, last week's study on Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses now calls the assembly together, most likely addressing the elders, tribal leaders, and the representative heads of each of the communities, <laughs> thus calling it all Israel. He proceeds to retell the laws and judgments of God, beginning with the Ten Commandments. The people of Israel have actually already received the commandments from Mount Sinai, as recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Yet, those people have since died in the wilderness and apparently had forgotten the instructions or Torah of God. We do not know what sort of textual manuscripts Israel had access to while they were in the desert, if any, nor do we fully understand what the priests have been teaching the people from the tabernacle during the 40 years of wandering. Whatever it was, it probably has not been very effective. Thus, Moses feels compelled to reiterate the commandments and to elaborate uh, the spirit of the law as applicable to the hearts of the people. The heart is going to become a central theme in the way he interprets uh, the Bible. Moses instructs the people to learn the commandments. And one way to learn something is to teach it in practice. Thus, Moses commands the families to instruct their children in the Torah. <clears throat> Obedience begins by learning and proceeds by teaching and education. Later, the Messiah will command his disciples to go make disciples and to teach them to obey. It will be a very similar thing. Moses engages the people in rhetorical fashion, okay? which what he says on face value appears actually not to be true. He declares, for example, that the covenant made at Mount Horeb, that's the, the most common name for Mount Sinai in the Bible, was actually not made with their forefathers, but with the people that were alive today. What, is Mos what Moses is doing, as, what is Moses doing is a good question, as literally this is blatantly untrue. However, given that this material at this time is rhetoric, the rhetoric, Moses is inviting Israel into the narrative. They are becoming part of the story. They are sharing in the experience of Mount Sinai and the covenant. God's voice is for them today and now. Moses says that the Israelite people spoke to God face to face. It's in verse 4. But in context, in his previous chapter, we see this is definitely figurative. As in the previous chapter 4, Moses had said that the people did not see God and they were actually too afraid to even hear his voice. Thus, the concept of the mediator was born. Moses takes on the initial role of being the mediator between man and God. And later in the Second Temple period, that role will move to angels who will make an ever greater presence in speaking to the heroes of God and conveying heaven's message to mankind.
Examples are books like Daniel, where instead of God talking directly to Daniel, you end up with angelic figures. Second Maccabees does the same thing, where lots of angels come and direct all the heroes. Tobit, angels constantly, Raphael, uh, talking to the hero. And the New Testament. When it's time to talk to heroes in the New Testament, uh, often through an angelic presence. Moses then retells the Ten Commandments. The commandments are divided between those that concern our relationship with God and those that concern our human relationships with each other. Unlike most of the laws in the Bible, the punishment that you get for disobeying a commandment is not actually stated in the context of the Ten Commandments. In, 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 in places like Leviticus, in places like Numbers, things like, if you do this, you'll get wiped out. If you do this, I'll kill you. If you pick up sticks on the Sabbath, we'll put the man to death. But when you start telling the commandments, you actually don't get any punishments listed. The most substantial difference between the Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 accounts concerning, it concerns the Sabbath. In Moses' rendition here, the command is to uh, observe the Sabbath in place of remembering the Sabbath, perhaps due to Israel's failure during the wanderings to actually do this. The reason for the Sabbath observance becomes the exodus from Egypt rather than creation. The Sabbath then takes on a redemptive character. And in modern Jewish prayers, in the prayer book of the Jewish people today, for the Sabbath, both reasons for the Sabbath are acknowledged. So when you, when you bless, uh, make blessings in a modern Jewish home, uh, you, you take, out, you take the, both portions from Exodus and Deuteronomy. You thank God for creation and you thank God for redemption from Egypt. The last words of Moses, his recitation and commentary of the Torah occur as the people are preparing for the conquest of the promised land. At the heart of the message of Moses is his desire for the formation of a healthy, just, and humanitarian society that will reflect the uniqueness and the character of God, thus being a light to the Gentiles. Moses ends with his usual summary, obedience will prolong the days of the Israelites in the land of inheritance something that we've seen him do time and again. All right, so that was what we discussed in Deuteronomy 5 um, last week. So now let's have a look at the first three verses. Okay, so you got your Bibles? Yes. Or access to something, if not, just listen. Yes. Okay, I'll read the first three verses. Uh, this will be done in, um, in the, the NIV. Sorry for all those people who hate that version. It's just a version. Deuteronomy 6. <clears throat> These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. All right. Anything there initially that jumps out? Let's have a look at verse 1. The, the, the uh, phrase order is quite different than in, in the ESV that I'm reading. Yes, and uh, the actual, the NIV here actually has some translational errors. <laughs> uh, okay, what does your ESV say for verse 1, mate? 
Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Yep, that sounds like a good one. Yep, the um, uh, Hebrew is quite emphatic there, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay, for those who have actually got the Hebrew in it. Um, the NIV here uses the plural commands, but um, I'm sure Arie or Kaylee or anybody else who's got a Hebrew will tell us that the first words are actually... That's right. It's, it's singular. This is the command. Go, so, oh, okay. We've got 613 commands, and so we can normally talk about the mitzvot, but all of a sudden... And we've got all the people together and we've already given the Big Ten and a whole bunch of others. We now turn around and say, now this is the command. Okay? It's, actually, it's actually quite an emphatic statement that there's one. And, and we all know what the big one is. So verse four. But, but he begins uh, by saying in, in a very singular fashion, this is the command. So we're going to start calling attention to the 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 one command, the one ruling principle, the greatest of, uh, of the commandments. Okay. And uh, that God, God himself is directing Moses to teach you, uh, to observe. And where do you have to observe it? In the land. In the land, yes. Mm. Again, you know, this sort of uh, very... You can see why that there are some... Um, uh, commentaries, Jewish commentaries that will say, no, all Jews have to be in the land. I mean, that's where you fulfill commandments. However, that doesn't mean if you're outside the land wandering in the wilderness, you shouldn't have been doing the commandments either. And so you'll end up with lots of different levels of interpretation, particularly when taken away into, um, into captivity, into galut, when you're no longer in the land and trying to figure out what rules actually apply to you now. What can you do? And if you're very far from the temple, what sort of things constitute as sacrifices and, and such like that? However, at this point, we're once again um, uh, directed to observe in the land. And it will come with blessings and it will come with um, uh, promises. And uh, verse 2, uh, one of the reasons why you should be observing these commands in the land is that you and your children and their children will learn to fear the Lord. Okay? The, the, the future um, uh, rests on your being obedient in the present. And the blessing of the past still remains. So that's the blessing of the forefathers. That's always still going to be there. But the present um, and, and the, the present uh, fear of the Lord um, leads to something. So what is fearing the Lord, guys? To obeying his laws. What is it? Obey. Obey. All right. Well, Hearing is the beginning of wisdom. Right. I mean, that's that's the Bible verse that a lot of us uh, run to when we when we first hear. What is fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, that's the beginning. It's obviously not the end thereof, but it certainly at the beginning. Okay. Roddy, go for it. So you will fear Yodhavave and observe all his regulations and mitzvot that Moshe has given to him. 
Right. You have to hear the voice, right? Even though at the moment it's through a mediator, you hear the voice, you learn God's instructions. Remember, learning was always part of this. It wasn't just hear and then uh, we'll all suddenly just magically learn, uh, figure out how to obey and then we'll start wandering around the world and be perfect. Um, Jesus himself says, go into the world, make disciples and do what? Teach them. Teach, right? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's an element of teaching, instruction, <coughs> learning involved with the entire process. Um, even when God made uh, Adam and Eve, and uh, uh, did he just leave them alone? No, it showed up every afternoon, right? So there's a, you know, you don't sort of um, come with this you know, instant download of, of knowledge. There's a learning involved. So here, here, uh, the, the word Shema obviously means both hear and obey. Uh, learn God's instructions. And one of the ways of learning is to teach them to your children. Some of the best way of learning is actually to be engaging in, in, in teaching. And that teaching the instructions of God, teaching about what God wants and his desires, should lead to a very healthy fear. And what is the fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom to do what? Oh, it doesn't say. But what do you think? His will and not ours. Say that again, Kaylee. His will and not ours. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, that would be a good thing to learn. To hear what is the heart of God. What is actually his desire for the world? And then perhaps compare that to my desire or what I think the world should look like and then go, actually, my way is probably not the right way. Be good to have more of God in me and less of me. And, uh, wisdom is also the ability to apply an understanding to changing circumstances and, and to make the right choices when you're faced uh, with something you've not encountered before. Yes, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Because we are going to encounter things that we've never done before. Like, for example, in the context, in, in context, the Jewish people are about to embark on an invasion, which is not something that we've done before. So, you know, we're, uh, we're having, we haven't gone into uh, mass battle. We haven't uh, uh, done any of these kind of things. And so we're going to need to figure out how we put any of this into practice. I think just because of the children of Israel until this stage, they are not really mature and they need to be reminded again and again, they might, against the law, go astray. Because <clears throat> the entire desert, wondering, there's nothing. So God manifests his power. And the, the Israelites exposed their weakness. And at this time, we can see many other places seems to cause Christ to be revealed in those speakings. So fear God, which means, according to my observation, which means to be reminded, you have gone through so many miracles. Think about the ten plagues, how he opened when he just put out the statues, the Red Sea opened. Look at this awesome, mighty God is with us. Don't you dare to be forgetting. Yeah. So I think... These children are not born again yet. Today we have a born again spirit, and the spirit reminds us yeah, what we are doing so. wrong. 
we that time so. there are children still children yeah a father have to spend them you know yeah yeah and moses moses yeah. as a deputy authority and the way he speaks god go you and i because i uh, right. yeah we look at the world and uh well the world is in a really bad place right now um and and which can sometimes actually be a good thing but it gives us a hard look at what's truly important yeah to us you know right. all of our idols and all of our false yeah. gods and all of our right. false hopes are now yeah. being taken away and yeah. suddenly we're having to uh, have a good hard look at ourselves um, interesting the wilderness for one is a desert and the wilderness for others is your own private bedroom yeah. mm -hmm. all right so we're gonna have to learn learn to fear the Lord learn to get this wisdom learn to how to put this wisdom of all the instructions of the Lord into into practice uh, and so as part of this fear as part of this wisdom we're going to learn to obey the Lord learn to listen to his voice and that's going to result in something and and this is not the first time Moses actually said this so this is actually going to uh, lead you to long life this sort of idea that the things that I'm teaching you are actually going to, to prolong your life. They're actually going to be quite good uh, for you, even in a very physical way. Many times, I think, especially when, you're, when, you, when I was growing up, um, <clears throat> you often heard that in the Old Testament, all these laws, all these commands, well, they were very restrictive, right? They, they weren't very nice. And yet, when you have a look at them, they're actually very beneficial. There's certain things you can eat, certain things you can't eat. There's certain relationships that you should be having and there's certain relationships that you should not be having. And each of these is actually beneficial for you and very good for a society. And they create a very humanitarian society. They create a very just society. They create a very healthy society. And they end up actually being quite good. Um, but it never seems to be that way when you're, you know, 14 years old and being told you can't do stuff. Um, somehow it always seems a bit more harsh and authoritarian and not as loving and as kind. Certainly not going to lead you to long life. Because when you're 14, 15 or 16, you're bulletproof. Um, and I don't know how the Israelites felt when they're about to go and invade uh, Canaan. I don't know how they felt bulletproof or whether they were nervous or scared. Uh, but, uh, but here, Moses has got them. He's got the people together. He says, it's time for you to listen to God. It's time for you to, to learn a healthy fear of the Lord, which you haven't had for the last 38 years wandering. Um, I'm not quite 100% sure what our priests have been teaching you, but, but I'm a bit nervous. And so here we go again. Make sure this leads you to have wisdom. And if you do put this into practice, it's going to lead to, to, to long life. So in verse 3. Chip in the verse here, which I think is a really nice one. It's a verse from Psalm 119, verse 96, where he says, I have seen an end to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, that's a good one. It yes. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Right. Read that one again. So, Psalm 119, verse 96. The psalmist is looking out at the universe and he's seen, oh, yes. Yeah. What's, what's the great hope? Limit to all perfection, but your commandment is very broad. Yeah. And it covers, it, yes, and covers a wide gambit 
of creation, how you interact with it, how you interact mm -hmm. with the God of creation and how you interact with each other and how you interact with his spirit, his breath. And, and, his and breath. a simple way of understanding it is that there's a never-ending number of ways that you can bless people and be kind to them and considerate and honour. All these ways, you know, you don't have to write them down because you'll always find new ways of doing it if you try. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, very nice. Yeah. So verse 3, hear Israel, okay, shma, okay, uh, uh, Israel, the, hear and obey. And he even says it again, be careful to obey so that may go well with you. Again, this constant reference to obedience and how it's actually going to be good for you, um, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is, again, the reference to the past. Although what he's trying to tell them to do is in the present to get a healthy fear of the gods that in the future it's going to be well. But, uh, so be careful to hear and obey. So hearing and obey obedience, what's it going to lead to? Long life. Long life, yes. But he, he adds something else here. What's it going to help multiply. the people do? They'll multiply. Multiply. Yeah, multiply. Increase, yeah. yeah. They're going, they, they, it's going to lead to procreation and high fertility, right? Not something that we all like to talk about in the, in the modern world, okay? We think, no, we shouldn't it's feel bad. it's too full. We certainly should all stop having babies uh, and, and only have one child policy and all that kind of stuff. But that's not the way God thinks. God is saying, hey, listen, if you hear my voice, you listen to my instructions, you get a healthy fear of the Lord in this awe and wonder and uh, reverence, uh, which leads to right. obedience, and it will give you long life. And not only that, your relationships are going to be right. You'll end up multiplying in number, which is a good thing. Because if you can have a look at a world, which we are looking at, in a world that's taken away God, we don't want to hear his voice. We're going to pull down the Ten Commandments from our walls and we're going to close churches. And what's happened to those civilizations in their numbers? They disappeared. Yeah. They've got negative birth rates across the board. Right? They're, they're, uh, they're, they're the, 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 the human populations just stop. Instead of having a healthy appreciation for, uh, you know, our wives and, and, and the way families are supposed to be, you end up getting so individualistic, you certainly are not going to spend your money on a small little thing that you have to pay for. And so you end up not having kids, which, has a, which does not bode well for the future of your country. Um, you know, less number of people working means less taxes, means less social services, means less everything. Um, and so no one's thinking of to the future. But God puts it in, in here. He says, you know, your future will be well. You have long life. Not only that, your community will continue to expand. It will actually be healthy. <clears throat> what is it, Roddy? Um, as we're going through this, not just for now, but as we continue through this chapter, I think we should keep in mind uh, I think it's Matthew 22, and it's uh, <clears throat> the last four or five verses. Um, Yeshua, Jesus, 
just says, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the same questions should come up that we're talking about here. How do you do that? And he gives us the answer. It's just most people never read the last verse, verse 40, which says all of the Torah, how you love him with all of your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor. So, so all of the fear him and love him and obey him. Right. You, you listen to the commandments of God. You know, one of uh, my favorite books, and I've, I've said it before, uh, both in sermons and in Bible studies and at probably everybody's face, is Leviticus. Great book. Absolutely fantastic book. Because mm -hmm. when you look at the, the instructions that are there, and you think, oh, man, you know, what, what, how does this apply to my life today? You know, there's no temple. We don't have sacrifices. But you look at the intention of what God's doing in those verses and, and you yes. suddenly see the, the, the heart of God. Yes. Yeah, and it's um, very, very, very powerful. All right. So, here, obey in the land, flowing with milk and honey, although there are other verses that give you a bit more species than that one, but it's a good land, and, uh, and it's, and it's, a, and it's a, a treasure that God has, has given, or promised uh, to the forefathers. So there's that the past still has relevance, right? Um, you know, he who forgets history is bound to repeat it, but in this case, history is good, and it's a good thing. Yes. Uh, so then we get those famous verses. So we'll read the next uh, uh, five or six verses. Verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. All right. So there it is. That's, this is the, the big command that he, he mentioned in verse 1. This is the, the commandment, right? Shema Yisrael. All right. What do you think of that? Those little bunch of verses, guys. I mean, we say it every Sunday. Yeah, yeah very familiar. Yeah, they are, for us, they are very familiar. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here are Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, go, Roddy. Okay. Here, uh, we talked about you mentioned whether the Israelites, the children, down. Oh, you faded out there, Roddy. Try again. Verse, and if he says to them on your doorpost, well, if they can write them, that implies that they can read, and that implies that they have some type of writings or. Yeah, it does. It's an interesting commandment if you're giving it to an illiterate society. Right. So it is interesting to, to ask what, what texts does Israel have while they're wandering in the desert? And if and what is it and how is it being taught to the people? Uh, requiring Moses to even 
do it again a second time. Right? And so it's, it's an interesting question. We don't actually know. That's how, unfortunately, we've never found these old, old manuscripts. We just never have. <coughs> but it's, the implication is there that the, some part of the culture can read or write. Okay. So, so do you think they are, mm -hmm, are they just being re-educated and reminded the days now in the deserts is totally different when they were in Egypt. So, uh, because in Egypt, we, we didn't see anything. They, they worship the idols. But Egypt is absolutely so many idols involved. And they couldn't get away from the environment over there. Now God finally put them in such a desert, like a prison. And want to just, uh, just, just, push them into a situation to focus on the monolism, the only God, as you just mentioned at the beginning. So I think the repetition of the law, I think to me, it seems that these people need to be re-educated again and again and reminded again and again. Otherwise, they are still bearing the huge smell of the Egypt. Right now, we don't know. We don't day to day, yeah, you know, they are getting more godly feeling, maybe. To, today? Know. Oh, we would hope so. Like, what was, what was Israel, had, I mean, what was their relationship to God while they were in Israel for 400 years? They didn't have a Bible in Egypt. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a prophet. We don't, so, we don't, have, we don't have texts that they were quoting. Um, so we actually don't know. How much of a syncretic relationship did they have with Egypt, with Egyptian gods? Were they forced to worship them? We don't know. But yet the text does tell us that they cried out to God. So they seem to have something. Then they see these mighty acts and they see these, these, these signs and wonders. Right. They, they get into uh, to Mount Sinai. And then, of course, they straight away engage in idolatry. So somehow idolatry... It lives with the people and it tends to be the first sin in the first period uh, you see time and again the the kings have to the good ones have to break down uh, idol worship uh, time and again the prophets have to prophesy against uh, uh, idolatry um, it, it seems to be something that doesn't quite quite go go away um, yet what, did, what were they carrying around? What They had the tabernacle. They had these signs and wonders. They had right. holy priesthood, which God had instituted. And they had the laws of Leviticus and, and Numbers. Um, what was, was being taught to the people? I'm not 100% sure. But something concerned Moses enough that when he had the opportunity in his last day of life, as he was uh, empowering the people, trying to say, this is the type of, you know, just humanitarian light to the nation society you need to be. This is the heart of the Torah, which we've been trying to teach you for the last 30 years, which we haven't gotten, uh, you know, through their thick skulls. Um, and, it's the, and it's very interesting, the things to see, which we will be doing as we go, what Moses is leaving out, okay, and the way, and as well as, as, well as um, putting in. Roddy, what is it, buddy? You're uh, still muted there, mate. Can hear you now. Yeah. We're skipping over what I see is the most important part here. Which is what? Where are all these words going to go? 
<laughs> well, at the moment, they haven't got houses, and I don't, but they're about to get some. They're in the heart. This is, yeah. again, from the beginning, it's all about the heart. Always. Yes. Yep. Write these laws on your heart. So, yes, impress them on your heart and then teach them to your children. Verses 6 and 7. So, love the Lord your God. Uh, the Lord, uh, here, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Okay. Um, and then you get all those discussions about what does it really mean to be echad. Um, and uh, you all know the arguments. Yes. Can, can I just offer a thought on that? Yes. Um, I remember reading in this Bible, which I got maybe about 10 years ago, the footnotes. And it's got four ways of rendering this phrase. Excellent. What um, are they? The Lord our God is one Lord, or the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, as well as, as, well as one in the text. And that fourth one, I remember at the time thinking, wow, that's, I've not heard that one before. Yeah. Um, and over the years, and obviously, you know, we use it in our service every Sunday, that particular phrasing, then to me, it, it has made so much sense, such that I cannot imagine the Israelites standing in the desert saying an abstract statement about God that he is one. Right. I mean, that is just so amazing. Greek thinking and not Hebraic thinking. Right. What they would say, right. or what Moses would thoroughly impress on them, is the statement that the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, because that's going to govern your behavior. That's right. There's no other God. About God. Yes. And it seems right. that the... Um, the uh, um, Jewish teachers, sages would, or I mean, the rabbis would stress this the version that we have in the text rather than this one about um, an, an oath of loyalty, which seems to fit the context so much better. Yes, I think I agree. I think what footnote is, is in, who, who's writing those footnotes? They're good. Well, um, it is part of the ESV study Bible. I think oh. maybe all, all versions of the ESV actually. Wow. Okay. Very good. That's an excellent, uh, excellent way to look at it. Yeah. Indeed. Um, so, the verse five: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Okay. Um, a command. Uh, is there any questions there that jump out that you'd like to ask? I'll ask one. Love, is it, is you are commanded to love. Is love therefore not a choice? Or is it a choice? I think at the outset it's a choice and it can become a feeling. Right. I think, yeah. Any, 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 any other discussion on this, on loving God? We could note uh, that the Hebrews uh, famously thought with their heart. Yes, Arya, is a good point. You mm -hmm. think with so your this, heart. This is not. This is not just an emotional instruction here. Right. Yeah, and the the yep the the head idea that was a very sort of more Greek way. The heart 
is uh, the Hebrew way, particularly with, with Moses and the impact of this book. It, it's just the same thing. They, their, their anatomy was a little bit uh, more primitive than the Greeks. <laughs> okay, one way to put it. And remember, in, even when you went stoning, where did you hit people with the stone? In the head. In no, the head. in the chest. In the chest. In the chest. Oh. Yes, you actually have a. We actually have a physical description of how Jews did stoning, and uh, <gasps> they they would get a very large rock, and uh, they would smack it against your chest in the effort to break, crush your heart. A sternum. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. We, we've, we've got the idea that, oh, you just pelted people with rocks and hit them in the head, and we, that's the way we thought. Um, however, it, it was the, uh, the, the method of stoning was to crush someone's chest. And then if the person was still alive after you'd been whacked in the chest with this big rock, which might have happened more often than not, then the witnesses, those that were watching this guy hit the guy with a big rock, had to finish him off with their little rocks, which then probably also hit him in the head, uh, one would assume, that uh, all these piled him up. But the point was the heart is a big deal. Now, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Uh, Jeremiah 32, verse 41. Um, if someone can find that one, you're going to discover that uh, doing something with your heart and with your soul is also something that God does. Not only does he command us to do it, but he himself does it. Anyone got Jeremiah 32, 41 there? Yep, read it up. The Lord says, I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Whoa. I think that is great. Yeah. Yeah. And when, particularly if when you're talking to the rather more sceptic members of the church who aren't entirely convinced that the return of the Jews is a pro prophetic fulfillment. Yes. You put them to this verse and you think, do you really want to know what God wants to do with all his heart and all his soul? That's right. He's, yes. He's talking to a group of very despondent people. And it's uh, about, I'm bringing you back. This is, a, this is my thoughts and, and, and it's all my heart and all my soul. Which is then, you know, another theological thing. God actually has a soul. Oh, my gosh. What does that mean? Well, let's not get into it too much, but it does, it, it reflects that if we're made in his image and we have emotions and we mm -hmm. have a heart and we have a soul, why would God not, particularly if we are made in his image? Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So there is this, um, this, this what we're reading is uh, the... Uh, the, the, obviously the Hebrew text. And at the time of Jesus, there were two other versions. There's an Aramaic version and there's a Greek version, the Septuagint. And um, do you actually have the Greek there, uh, REA? You're quite good at it. The Septuagint? No, it's too big to hold from my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So I, I actually did, where did I, I, I picked it up. I downloaded a few pages uh, thereof. Okay. Um, so how do you love God with all your heart? And how do you do so with your soul? And certainly, how do you do so with your strength? And what does it mean to love God with your strength? And so in the Greek, in the Aramaic version, which I think came first, 
Um, although, to be fair, the Targums that we've got currently today are later ones. They are not the, the ones that they had in Babylon. Uh, the Targum of Onkelos translates that verse, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your wealth. Oh, As this idea that your strength is, is, uh, is not just your physical characteristic, but and you would love God with all of your whole being, but you would also love God with all of your whole being and the extraneous things that have been given to you. So your house, your car, your manservant, and your donkey and such. We have a phrase, with all your purchasing power. With all your purchasing power. <laughs> love God with all your purchasing power. So in, uh, in the Septuagint, then... Um, I, I discovered while I was doing this, this was actually brand new to me. I did not know that. There are actually several versions of the Septuagint. Did you know that, Aria? Yes. Yeah, well, I, I discovered. I thought there was like just one. <laughs> Oregon was famous for having written six different versions of it in parallel columns called the Hexaplot. Oh, oh okay, okay. Yes, and so, so most of those versions, most of those versions were after the time of Jesus because the Jews to hate the Septuagint because the Christians used it to prove that he was the Messiah. Right, okay. Okay, so they're, they're later ones. So I, I found two that might, might, might have been two versions before. So in the, in the rendition in the Greek, it was like, love God with all your cardia, or one version had cardia. Uh, His heart. Yep, psyche, soul. Okay, dunamis, power, and uh, dianoia, mind. Okay, so some, some didn't have cardia and some didn't have duenia, but they would have sometimes four words to say three words. Okay? It's because the heart didn't make sense to the Greeks. They had to add the dianoia in, in Jesus. Right. And then what happens is when you get to the Gospels, okay, the, the actual Shema is listed in the Gospels in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, it's not actually in John. And it's different in all of them. And you go, oh, hang on, why is this? And it's not, don't get scared. No one should get scared when differences pop up in your Bible. That's not the right thing. What you should do is you should acknowledge that there are some differences and discuss them. And so in Matthew, when they ask you what is the greatest commandment, because you're mentioning this, Roddy, he says, love the Lord your God, and he uses cardia, psyche, and dianoia. He doesn't use the word dunamis, which is in the Septuagint, okay? or one of the versions of Septuagint. In Mark, Jesus uses uh, four words. The, the scribe that talks to him only uses three. Okay? In Mark, he uses cardia, psyche, dianoia, uh, and ichsus which is apparently another type of dunamis. Strength. Strength. Yes. So that there was a, another version of the, of the Septuagint that didn't use dunamis, it used ichthus. Maybe the Greek had changed by this stage. Is that possible? Dunamis is power. Ichthus is strength. Okay. And uh, in Luke, he uses all four there uh, when he's talking to a lawyer. Um, he uses cardia, he uses psyche, he uses dianoia uh, and, and ichthus. So... Even in, in Jesus' day, there were several versions of, the, of this, and they were quoting it to sort of each other. And so when it gets recorded, it gets recorded in different fashions. Not something you should be scared about, but it does show us that even in Greek, 
they had they were trying to to, to explain Hebrew words and they couldn't do it with just one word, so they used multiple words. And so you ended up with different versions of the Bible with multiple words. And that's okay. It's uh, not something that disproves the text, just something that just shows us that uh, actually um, uh, uh, the, the, the Bible in its context is actually reflecting you know, a, a very, you know, a, a reality. They're, they're wrestling with the word of God, trying to understand it, um, and, and they're even still doing it to this day, right? Even to the, the description of, you shall love the Lord your God, will, uh, the, the hero of Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, okay? okay? I'm going to read from a Jewish prayer book, okay? not a Christian text. Okay? I'm going to pick up stock standard Jewish prayer book, which you can pick up. In the in in your Jewish shops for about twenty two shekels, might have gone up, um, and so, all right. So one daily prayer book. Okay, have you seen? You've seen this before, haven't you, Kaylee? Yeah. And in, in page thirteen, it when you get to the Shema, you know, Shema Israel Adonai Adonai Chad, it literally will translate that. Here, O Israel, the eternal our God is an eternal unity. Hmm. Yes. And so now we tend to uh, read the Shema in certain lines as in, in his uniqueness, in his oneness, that he is the Lord alone and there are no other gods, which is probably what it is in context. Um, but another way that it can be, be done is uh, in the Aramaic, we're talking about Chad, that is a is a, a unity, and uh, you end up with some very interesting rabbis discussing this, and uh, it's very late, so it will not apply to uh, this to to Jesus. Uh, there's a rabbi called Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. You heard of him, have you, Ari? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Particularly with all the Kabbalistic rubbish. Yeah. But anyway, um, before the Kabbalists got hold of him. Um, he was the um, disciple of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva is a very famous rabbi who, in <coughs> discussion of the book of Daniel, said that uh, there are two powers in heaven. One is God and the other is the Messiah. So he's been teaching this to his, to his students. And um, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, when he was discussing the Shema, he said this is a composite of three and they are all equal. And you're wondering... Is he being influenced by his master or is he being influenced by his discussion with Christians? doesn't matter. The point is that the, the word, in, the way it's reflected in Hebrew um, allows for discussions of God being uh, in, a, in, a, in a plurality, uh, which is, I think, an, an, an amazing, an amazing mm -hmm. thought. And mm -hmm. it's, still it's still recorded that way in... Mm -hmm. Jewish prayer books. Okay. All right. We could note here before we move on, the, the last word in the list in Deuteronomy, is actually very obscure in Hebrew. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's a, virtually a standalone usage of this word in the New Testament. And you can see that everybody struggle it, starting already with Septuagint. What does this mean? Well, we'll take our best stab at it. Mm. In, in essence, it's it's kind of God's fill in the blank here. Yeah. 
if in doubt, add something in here and that counts too. And that counts too, yes, which is <laughs> not the way we think in, in, in perhaps uh, approaching the Bible. But the, 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 the essence of all of that, of all the Septuagint, Aramaic and discussions in Hebrew is how do you love God? You love God with your whole person. And not only that, the extension of that yeah. person, even the things that your very hands have created, you'll turn around yeah. to that to love God with. And yeah. that's actually a very powerful, powerful thing. And, uh, and love, yes, it is a feeling, but it is also a choice. It is something that we can, okay. can do. Mm-hmm. All right. Aaron, I have a question, Aaron. Okay. Uh, do you think until now uh, the commitments is not really related to application or being a spiritual uh, status of a person is still like like in Hebrew any koach any koach lekanesese can I have no strength to get into this which means it's a desire someone's willingness someone's desire someone's emotion and someone's decision to do something so it's not really, they are not taught how to follow the rule of the spiritual. I mean, uh, there is no spiritual application until this. I mean, the Israelites until now, it seems not really get into the spiritual status. Should I say that? I just uh, ask you. Okay. I, that's, I don't know. Because I, I would never separate uh, the physical from the spiritual. I, I don't, I don't, really? I, no, I wouldn't. I think that once you do that, you either get too spiritual or you get too physical and those things um, have to be in balance you, and, 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 you they, and they, they constitute the whole person. And so you end up with like, why is God so worried about idolatry? I mean, it's nothing. It's not real, but they're physically doing something, but their hearts are also part of it. And so here, you love God with all your heart and soul, but also your meodecha, also your strength. Oh, my gosh, well, what's that? And then, then that becomes a very physical application. Love God with everything. Love God, love God, Ling Ling, by staying in Israel during the quarantine, love, okay, and being unable to go home. Love God by, uh, by blessing uh, your, your neighbor. Uh, during this time, how by calling you on the phone and and, and just checking up? Yeah, on but how? Okay, how Saul turned into Paul, and you see the revelation of the outstanding resurrection of Christ, and he really brought brought the Jewish people into the spiritual realm. Did you notice this? Yeah, Paul, he changed, he changed before he became, he doesn't change before he turned into Paul. He yeah. was Saul. Yeah. He is and really any like the any koach, those kind of situations. Until now afterwards. But he's teaching us, my dear, Christ has resurrected. His yeah. outstanding resurrection it turned us into a life giving spirit. The later the last Adam has turned into the spirit. So he's during the wandering of the time, but do you think that should be on this? They yeah. are not really spiritual in such a way do you think no I, i'm just i'm just yeah the, the, no, the not at all. or never separate the 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 spirit from the body uh there we're both that's why we're resurrected into a new body not just as a spirit your spirit's going to join right. a new body and it's going to and it's going to be a perfect at that time 
Do you think Christ, Jesus, already in the Old Testament time, revealing to them? Of course. To the, the wandering. During the 40 years of wandering, do you think the resurrection spirits is still there? Functioning ah, along that's the road? That's a very big theological question, which we will not get into here. The, the, uh, the New okay, Testament states clearly that the Spirit of Christ inhabited the prophets, and that would include Moses. Correct. So the, to the okay. short answer is... That was my question. Yeah, that was the my short question. answer is yes, the Spirit of the Messiah was yes. always there, even to the point where he's the rolling rock and all these kind of things. But was there, like a, uh, was there a physical Jesus wandering around? Well, no. But... Uh, but because um, we don't have the physical Jesus until we have his incarnation. Um, all right. So we have to obey. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength. These are the commandments that I give them today, and they'll be on your heart. So the impression is you write these laws on your heart. Now, I've had them before from Mount Sinai. Didn't seem to work. So here we are in the desert about to enter the promised land, and it becomes a heart issue. Straight away, what do we do with these uh, laws that are on our hearts? What's the very next sentence? Teach them to your children. Teach them to your children. Yeah. There is a, um, a, a strong, strong desire by God uh, to, to make sure that families work properly. And one of the ways that families work properly is that the parents have to teach the kids, and uh, which is the way that... Uh, Somehow the Lord has, has wanted it. And unfortunately, what, what does Moses not do? Didn't teach his kids. No. <laughs> Which is you know, one of those tragedies, right? You know, is that the, the tragedy at the end is, is Moses saying, now make sure you teach them to your kids. You could almost hear his wife saying, yeah, what about you, you doing? What are, what are our kids doing? Um, uh, Aaron's already had some problems. He's already lost two. Right, uh, mm -hmm. didn't work out well, uh, but two, two kept doing good. But um, voice of yeah, his voice of experience, perhaps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So impress them to your kids. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. All right. So that uh, you know, it's, it's to become part of your daily family life, right? Um, the, the, some of the discussions that were interesting, well, I found them quite funny. I don't know if you guys did, but uh, Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai, you probably know this REA, were having a discussion about when you should say the Shema, right? This little oath of loyalty. And they had, well, when you lie down and when you get up. So that's in the evening and that's in the morning. So say the Shema twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. Great. Shammai takes it one step further. How should you say the Shema? And he says, well, in the evening, you should lie down. <laughs> okay? It's like, okay, when you get home, lie on your bed, give your oath of loyalty to God. But in the morning, you got to stand up. Right? And Hillel just thinks that's just stupid. Um, but uh, there you go. So sometime some around prior to Jesus, it probably even probably even happened that they were walking along in the evening and there's some guy lying on the ground saying the Shema, right? <laughs> Which would have looked quite an interesting sight. Yes, yeah. I yes. think the intent of the context is much broader 
Yes. And I notice this among God's people, uh, and it's a blessing to me. When we get together, some of us naturally fall into discussing the scriptures. It's kind of the coin of life and the staff of life. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. Yeah. I think it's a, a real sign yeah. of the presence of the Spirit of God among us. Yeah. Yeah, and he does these things, these things spontaneously among us that, that we like to talk about this stuff when we get together, even in casual strolling down the street. Right. The Torah, yeah. the Torah needs to be on your lips. It has to be part of your your family experience. Mm -hmm. uh, it becomes mm -hmm. part of your daily life. You meet your friends. You talk about the weather, but you also yeah get around to talking about God, the prophets, the Messiah, the Kingdom of Heaven. You know, that kind of all stuff. It becomes part of your everyday social uh, interaction. Right. right. Um, and and so you ended up. You can you can see it in little ways where the greetings people say would become you know may the Lord bless you instead of just saying hello. And you see that in Boaz as he greets his workers. Right? It becomes uh, part of the the, the the story. All right. So then. Um, Write them, tie them on symbols of your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses or on your gates. So you could take this in a metaphorical sense or you could take it in a literal sense, which has been done in both ways because obviously by the time of Jesus, we've taken it quite literally and we've created the tefillin, we've created the phylacteries, we've created the uh, mezuzahs, and, uh, and now we have literally uh, done this. Uh, the implication to write something does imply that uh, some members of this community are actually literate and uh, they have the capacity to put ink on a parchment and, um, and read them. And, uh, and then if you're going to teach them to your kids, there's a good op uh, highly likelihood that even your children will have a rudimentary knowledge of the alphabet. Um, and you can see it in the later Second Temple period. You don't see it in the First Temple period. In the later Second Temple period, you end up with the community school, the Beit Midrash, that's being attached to synagogues. Okay? That's not something you find in um, first, uh, first Israelite uh, period archaeology. Um, but it is something you see about in, in, the, in the later time. All right. Yeah. About the um, about the, how the children fit in, it's towards the end of Deuteronomy. We read this verse that says, "The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law." So the Lord is saying that these commands belong to your children, and therefore, because of that, you have the duty to teach them. Yes, and that would link into what he had also said in, in verse 5, where he said, uh, these are the commandments that God gave you when you were at Mount Sinai. Well, none of you were, but they are. It was for your dad, parents, but it's also for you, and it's going to be for your, your kids. So it becomes a, a, yeah, a genealogical, a lineage thing. Roddy, you got a hand up? Yes. <clears throat> From... Archaeology here in Jerusalem, right around the corner, Gabriel Barkai finds a necklace with uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 6, the Aaronic Blessing. This was being worn as jewelry 
around 600 BC. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it you go dope. from. Is that, <laughs> I love it. Is that loud? <laughs> a little. Uh, I'll go shut her down a little bit here. That's our two year old. Roddy is right. At, in the first temple period, they could read and write. And the, they had a literary, literary Bible written on jewelry, which became adornments and things like that. And you can find it all, all sorts of scripts. Mm -hmm. But what we, don't, what we don't find is, and how they managed to do that, I'm not 100% sure. But what we don't find is the, uh, the high prevalence of the Beit Midrash, which is something you do find in the, in the second level period, where nearly every synagogue has a school. And you're, wanting, and you're wanting to uh, educate your children to be able to read or write. Um, particularly because you've got these commandments. I, I only, yeah, right. I only bring it up so that we don't discount the ability to read and write when they're wearing jewelry, a little right. tiny, less, smaller than a cigarette butt around their neck, 600 BC. I find that amazing. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No, they don't. I would add that the right. Spirit of God teaches us to teach universal education and reading wherever He's been poured out. Yeah. It very clearly happened uh, from the times even before and after the Protestant Reformation. Universal education is a fruit of the Spirit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. One of the big um, success stories of uh, missionary movements, vis a vis where they, the Jesuits or whether they were they Church of England or whoever, yeah. the, you went and you built a church and a and a school. school. Yeah, and you and you started educating people. Yeah. All right. So we're about to get into the um, conquest and invasion. So from verse ten, when the Lord your God brings you into the land He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities, which you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things which you, you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. All right. So the, uh, we're about to, to engage in conquest, about to engage in invasion. And invasion is going to bring, it will inevitably bring, the spoils of war. And um, what is Moses trying to do here? Well, he's saying that uh, there's a danger in success. Hmm. There is a danger to wealth. And there is a danger to power. There's a danger to rank and titles. And what is the danger? The danger isn't that you might not get them. <laughs> the danger is once you do get them, something might happen. What might happen? Might forget the Lord. Yes. Isn't that sad? Yeah. 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 So you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, right? Once again, how do you know about God? You know about God by what he has done. Because right? uh, he in the, the the first of the commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Imagine a world where God hadn't done anything. 
how will we know him? Well, we couldn't, right? It just wouldn't happen. You, you might be able to read about him, but then how, how would God reveal his character? Would he just talk? Right? Would he just uh, say something? Hi, I'm God, and I'm a really nice guy. Okay? What would be your response? Prove it. Everybody, everybody <laughs> else says that too. Yeah, prove it. Prove, prove that you're a good God, right? And so God has done things. He's known by his actions. And so he will be too, hence the, uh, the idea of obeying. But the danger of the successful invasion, and it's going to be a successful invasion because God says, I am going to. It's going to be successful. You will get into the land. That's a nice thought. Uh, spiritually, you know, that sort of, you know, come into the kingdom. You'll get here, right? The, the, the doors open. Come, come on in. Okay. But the, there's a danger in, in capturing the territory, and the danger is that, uh, that the success leads actually to failure. And what does it lead to? It leads to forgetting. Mm. Now, why? Why would they say it this way? Don't forget the Lord your God. Remember, because in Jewish thought, in Jewish uh, uh, thinking, remembering and forgetting are based on your actions. And your actions come from which part of your body? Come from your heart. Right? And so um, the, your heart, if it's right where the law is supposed to be, will lead to, to you doing something, and that's going to help you to remember the Lord, because even God himself remem uh, remembers. Um, so God is wanting to bring Israel into a land that's well prepared. Right? It comes with um, houses, it's going to come with gardens, it's going to come with vineyards. So he's not, bringing, he's not bringing people into a land that's unprepared. Okay? So when we join the kingdom of heaven, we don't have to make it. Mm -hmm. Right? We don't have to, it's, been, it's prepared. The kingdom of heaven is well prepared. God is a king and we're coming into a community. We're joining a family well prepared. But there's uh, a danger. And with abundant blessing comes danger. And so it could be, I'm just making a suggestion here, that when Jesus is teaching his disciples, he knows from the past, obviously, uh, that with abundant blessing comes a danger. So what's the, the prayer in the Lord's Prayer? Give me my daily bread. Daily bread. Just give me my portion. You know, I don't need too much. I don't need too little. Um, I just need... And just need my, my, my portion for the day. Uh, do, do you, Neville, REA guys, or anybody else, do you remember know where that uh, give, give me my day, my daily bread comes from? It's a proverb. Um, it's like proverb. Um, I just read it this morning. Yeah. Um, two, three, something like that. Don't, don't, I, I, I'll have to paraphrase, but um, don't give me, just give me what I need. Don't give me more than I need, lest I forget the name of my God or something like That's that. That's right. He says, uh, don't, don't give me too much that I forget the name of the Lord and don't give me too little so I become a thief and dishonor your name. Yeah. Just give me my portion. Give me my portion uh, for the day. 
Even my, my, my daily bread. It could be. It could be that um, this was a, was a known thing, you know, that, uh, hey, once we have gotten too successful, we do start to forget the Lord. We don't engage in the action and remembering anymore. And then Jesus' disciples, when he gets them and starts teaching them, he says, hey, guys, look, just pray for enough, okay? Oh, and you'll get enough. you get more than enough. You'll be able to share, mm-hmm. but enough. So can I ask a question? Yes. Um, okay, but in like in um, 1 Corinthians 9, 8 or 8 to 9, something like that, it talks about the, the Lord giving abundance so we would be productive in every good work. How does that fit in with what you just said? Okay, so here, that's a good question. If it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, why would you pray for wealth? Okay. The rich so, man wouldn't pray for wealth. He already has correct. it. Right. But what are you getting? And what is abundance according to the Lord? Abundance is different than wealth. Probably. Yes. So somebody who's poor could still might say that they're abundantly wealthy. They have abundantly of something. So, um, and, and every good work that they're... So if you need to be generous or kind, what do you need from, from God? You need a compassionate heart and a spirit. Uh, if you, if you can, if you want to be able to heal, you're going to need the gift of healing, which is going to be independent of how, how wealthy you are. Uh, if you want to have, if you have the, um, the gift of discernment or the gift of prophecy or the gift of a word of knowledge, again, none of that relates to, to wealth. So the abundance, I think doesn't necessarily have to be a, 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 a material thing, but also there is also a danger in having so much of the gift. Some people who become spirit healers, right, and they have a healing ministry, end up healing, yes, but then end up doing something bad. Their ministries fall. They you know, sleep with their secretaries or do, do things like that. So the, the, the Bible is giving a warning that success, right, is can can be dangerous. And so there you get a warning. Right? And, so the, and the same will be for us. That same, that same warning has to be applied to us. That uh, if we're whatever the Lord gives us, be careful that in that abundance that we don't forget the name of the Lord or forget the reason why we've been given these, these things. Does that help, Karen? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, for the record, shall I give you the proverb uh, quoted? It's from Proverbs 30, verses kind of 8 and 9. 8 and 9. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. So it goes like this. Well, he says, two, I'll go from the verse before. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and, teaching, uh, and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Yeah. Well, you can clearly see that in terms of the thought is reflected in the Lord's Prayer. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. All right. So it, the, the, the danger that we have is it's so easy to forget. And so... The desire that uh, Moses is trying to impress is write these on your on your on your hearts. Make it part of your family life. Make it part of your social life that you're constantly talking to each other uh, about these subjects, so that we won't forget. 
that we'll be constantly talking about uh, how the Lord acts in our community and what he's done in the past and what he hopes to do in the future. And this will be an encouragement uh, to all of us so that we won't, won't forget. So verse 13. Okay. So after our successful invasion, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. <clears throat> Anything there that jump out at you? The potential contradiction by Jesus in the New Testament. Yes, the, yeah, yeah, the poten- yes, good point. A potential contradiction. Yes. Yeah. Because, of course, what does Jesus say in the New Testament? Don't, don't make us. Don't make girls. Yeah. <laughs> but, of course, um, we all do make oaths, don't we? What's, a, what's an oath that uh, uh, you might have made, uh, Neville, in your life? Uh, when I got married. Yes, I did those as well. Uh, how about you, Doug? You make a few of those? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And yet, like, no, no one had a marriage service where you just stood up in front of the congregation and just went, uh, yes. And that's it. Right? He said nothing but, else. Right? But oh, it yeah. says oath, oath in his name, though, Aaron. Yes. This one makes name. an oath in his name. Yeah. And an oath is when you add a string of things that are supposed to somehow make you more credible in what you're saying. And Jesus says, <laughs> say yes or no. Yep. We don't have to add any other names. Uh, we can, I think, and we often do in accordance with James' encouragement. We say with God's help or if God wills. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So this verse is actually one of the verses that Jesus uses to quote against Satan. Right? Fear the Lord and serve only him is one of his uh, things that he, he says. Misses the, the swearers of loyalty. But, um, but the fear right, and the uh, serving or worship, because it's actually the same word there, okay? uh, it's a, a, a vod, uh, which can mean serve, but it can also mean worship. Okay. Avodah Zarah is, is idol worship. And Avodah is also the word for worship, and it's also the word for work, and the word for servant, Eved. And so it, it, some, some translations will say serve the Lord, some will say fear the Lord and worship only him. Uh, same word. All right. And, and only make your oaths in, in his name. Because um, God himself uses oaths. And guess who God swears by? Himself. Yes, yes, in Hebrews 6. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the way the writer of Hebrews says it. It says, you know, God looked around for somebody else to make an oath with him. No, oh, no, yeah, just me. And, um, and so he himself, okay, makes an oath using his own, his own name. Mm-hmm. And if, if there's, if there's been a... He takes an oath in, in the book of Numbers, is it chapter 14 or 15. He takes an oath on the issue of the 10 spies who came back and brought back a, a, a bad report. Ah, does he? Yeah. I don't know which goes along the lines of as, as true as the earth will be filled with the glory of God, these men will not enter the land. As true as true as the, the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And this thought is picked up by the prophets, you know, the, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But the first occasion comes as an oath that the Lord takes 
in in anger over these ten men that have come back with a bad report. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So God takes those in His own name, glory of the Lord. And uh, if there's going to be anything, then any of our oaths of loyalty will have to only be be to God and to nobody else. All right. So verse uh, fourteen. What do we got? Uh, okay, maybe we got one more. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Verse fifteen. For the Lord your God, who is who is among you, okay, is a jealous God, and His anger will burn against you, and He will destroy you from the face of the land. So the last uh, thought that we'll have here to the day is um, is that. Even though we've had in verse 4 a clear, a clear statement of monotheism, there are no other gods, here is that, uh, that verse where um, Moses hints that, yeah, you're going to go in, and I already know you people. I've seen what you've been like in Egypt, as Ling Ling suggested, that perhaps you know, we haven't got idolatry got rid of, and they haven't, right? Is that um, is, uh, don't follow these other gods, even though they're not real. Right, we're still going to chase after them anyway. Uh, for the Lord your God, where does the Lord your God live? Among us. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's actually the uniqueness of Israel. All the other gods that people had around them lived <clears> in their <throat> in their temples, and they were, you know, highly or, or uh, decorated and served by by um, uh, various priesthoods and, and majesties. But where did God live? God lived in this. Um, tent carried around in the middle of, of his people. He wanted to live with his people, which is very special. Mm-hmm. And uh, and God is jealous. God is jealous of his prize. Okay, what does God call the people? He says, "You're my inheritance. You know, the land, the land is yours, but you're mine." And uh, so mm-hmm. he jealously guards. And in his jealousy, which is not a sinful emotion, right? Envy is jealousy is not. Um, and in the, this turning away from God to, to, to seek after other ones, um, this, this, there will be anger, and the anger will result in, um, in, in a negative outcome. And the negative outcome is all those good promises where if you were obedient and you served, you will multiply, your numbers will increase, there will be you know, high productivity, high fertility, you're going to have an abundance of blessing, you're going to have houses you didn't, you didn't build, uh, uh, all of that will be taken away. And um, so uh, the, the, the blessing can, can, can quickly uh, or very forcefully fade. And in this case, it leads to destruction, not just from Israel, but from the face of, of, the, of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, Any final thoughts know. there? I mean, we'll pick it up. Uh, actually, no. Next week, we will not have the Bible study on Wednesday night. Anyone know the reason why? Passover. Yes, it's actually Passover. So we should probably be doing something else. So um, we will. I do believe that we will be having a live broadcast of Pesach. If people, if people uh, cannot, and most of us cannot, leave our home and join a seder, if that is your normal uh, habit to do so, um, normally in our community we would like to go 
down to the Dead Sea and celebrate down at the Dead Sea, which we cannot do this year. Right? Yeah. Isn't that sad, Roddy? Yes. Yes, extremely. But I have one last thought before we before we go. Though okay. I want to say one last thing. If yes, go right ahead. Just something to think about as we move into finishing this next week. What I'm what I'm seeing for the first time is that this chapter is uh, it's a covenant. It's a covenant of the heart. Yep. But it's not a covenant of everlasting life. It's not. That's not what the promises are. It's not of everlasting life. It's a covenant, and it is of the heart, but it's not for everlasting life. Yep, I, on a surface level, that's yep, true. Yep, because it relates to a land, it relates to uh, long life, and it relates to fertility and things. Um, yep. Lots of blessings. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the but thing. Yes, obeying the commandments of God don't get you uh, saved, correct? Right. Right. Even, even Paul and Peter were ha- having this discussion in Galatians, and they knew that. However, obeying the commandments of God have a positive effect. What are they? You have a just society. Mm-hmm. You have a society that's, that's um, behaving properly vis-a-vis um, sexual relationships vis-a-vis the way you administer justice to the poor and to the guilty, um, the way you treat your, your neighbor and how you uh, uh, handle the stranger that you are going to come to. You know, the commandments deal with uh, everything from economic, uh, the way you handle your economies and, and uh, how you share your wealth. But, but more importantly, it's about the relationship you're loving our creator because that's what it's all about. How yes. do you love him at the core of your heart? And how do you do it? By following his instructions. It's about the relationship. Yeah. Salvation is what That's he did for us. Then, and through Yeshua, he saves right. them. We do nothing for it. The same as with Yeshua. The rest of it is about relationship. Yep. Thanks, Roddy. So what, so what difference does it matter next time? <laughs> All right. So next week... Passover. For those of you who might not be able to get out of the house and you'd still like to come and celebrate Passover, Christ Church is putting one on. Okay? And uh, uh, so it'll be filmed. I don't know how we're going to do that, but we're going to do it. Okay? Aaron? Yes. I have a question. I, um, just a small one of Jeremiah 32. Yep. What was the passage? What was the number of the? 32, 14. So God, he's talking to his people who have actually been carted away into captivity. But then he suddenly turns around and gives this incredible promise that he is going to bring them back and he's going to do so and he's going to make sure that they do come back and come back. But not just because Stam, he feels like it, but because it's every fiber of his being, his heart and his soul, all his heart. Verse 41. Verse 41, sorry, 41. Okay. It's a great, it's a great prophecy. One, reflecting how passionate God wants to bring his people back, and two, that he has a heart and a soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Which, if, if we're made in his image, of course he does. All right. See you guys. Be blessed. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, 
Let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.